Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein, and we're coming to you on the first day of December. Tis officially the season to be jolly. So with the holidays fast approaching, this seems an appropriate time to find out your answer, Jeff, to humanity's most burning question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? And, and while I'm at it, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> And is a thumb a finger? All right, let, let's work backwards. A thumb is a finger. I mean, it's that, that's 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 a no brainer. A, a hot dog. I mean, if it's on, if it's in between two pieces of bread, I guess you got to qualify it as a sandwich. Although, like some places, you get, sometimes you see like the donut sandwiches. You know, the donut right. in place of bread. So does the donut? So is that a sandwich? I mean, I, I'm gonna say yes. A hot dog's a sandwich. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the Die Hard question. Just I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think it's a Christmas movie because a Christmas movie is a movie that I would watch with my eight year old. And I'm not watching Die Hard with my eight-year-old, so no, I'm gonna say not a Christmas movie. Interesting, interesting reasonings on all of those. It, the, it's not so much people's answers to these questions that interest me; it's how they get to their <laughs> answer. Um, now, I, I know I'm the one who asked you the question, so I ought to have my own answers. But, uh, but for one of them, the hot dog sandwich question, I'm skipping it. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I don't really have an answer. Okay. I, I have yet Fair. to hear anyone make a very compelling case one way or the other on that one. The right. thumb, the thumb one, really interests me. Uh, in, in part because I'd never thought about it until just yesterday when I was searching the internet for other <laughs> examples of questions like, is a hot dog a sandwich? And I found that. Now, I, I'm going to go against you here. I, I, I say no, because huh. because you never refer to it as a finger, except when noting that you have five fingers five. or ten yes. fingers, right? right. But, but I think that's just a case of wanting to simplify something to save time. You don't want to just constantly be saying, I have eight fingers and two thumbs. So you say you have ten fingers. But... Like, if you slammed your thumb in a door, you wouldn't yell, ow, my finger. You would yell, right. ow, my thumb. Uh, you always right, call it a right. thumb. And and the others all have names ending in finger. Index finger, middle finger, ring finger. Now, pinky well, can sometimes go on its own, right? But sure. but not always. You can say pinky finger. You would never say, here's my thumb finger. No, you wouldn't. Have I swayed uh, you at all? 
Yeah, I mean, you make a point. And now I, I'm just thinking that Four Fingers and a Thumb would make a great, like, 80s synth band. <laughs> it would. I don't know I don't know what the metal band Five Finger Death Punch is going to do with this information. That's, that's a very good point. Um, as very for good. Die Hard, uh, so I, I recently heard an argument that I agreed with. If Christmas is not a central character in the movie, it's not a Christmas movie. So d- to me, Die Hard is an action movie set over Christmas, but not a Christmas movie. Yeah. And, and and maybe the key reason that I won't call it a Christmas movie is now your reason was interesting. You wouldn't show it to an eight year old, so it's not a Christmas movie. I hadn't thought of that. But uh, for me, it's it's that it's unfair to other Christmas movies because if Die Hard is a Christmas movie then it's by far the best Christmas movie ever. And, and, and that's not fair at all. The actual Christmas movies, you know, you're you're counting down the greatest Christmas movies. You're like, number four, Christmas Story. Number three, Miracle on 34th Street. Number two, It's a Wonderful Life. Number one, Die Hard. Uh, it, it, of course, it's it better than all those Christmas movies, but but it doesn't fit. I guess. You know, I, I little known fact about me, I, I hate action movies because I hate knowing that, like, the, I hate knowing what the end result is going to be of a movie before <laughs> I even start watching it, you know? So you're saying that if there is, is an action movie where the hero dies or something. That would be, be that, uh, yeah, I'd be more interested. It, it, but every action movie ends the same. The hero always wins, which is nice. But, right. you know, I don't know. I, I got better ways to spend two hours. <laughs> okay. I, I, action is not my favorite genre. Um, not, not for your reason, but more just because like during a long action sequence without a lot of dialogue, my mind tends to, to drift a bit. Um, but I do love Die Hard and I think it's the greatest action movie ever. Uh, not the, not the greatest Christmas movie ever. Okay. By the way, there's more. Yeah. Oh, 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 I'm not done. (laughs) I'm just getting warmed up. Um, is, is the original Rocky a Thanksgiving movie? There's something to ponder. The original, no, no, no. The original <laughs> Rocky is not a Thanksgiving. It's not a Thanksgiving movie. It's not an action movie. You know, by the way, you show that movie today to uh-huh. someone, like to some, like to anybody, and they're like, "This movie sucks." It is it's slow. Boring. It it's is slow. really slow. I think I still think it's great, but it's undeniably slow. Yes. So, I mean, the fight is awesome. I mean, it is just you know, the, 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 I, I still get the chills when that that when the final bell rings and they go uh-huh. to the, the uh, you know the the sky view of it and then everyone rushes in the ring and the Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Oh man, I got the chills right now just thinking about it. I yeah, love that. yeah, yeah. Kind of, uh, one other problem with that movie these days is HD is not kind to the makeup as Rocky's getting beat up. It it, it looks like uh, like a like a, a Halloween costume on his face and not right. an actual swollen <laughs> eye. So, but I still love it. But uh, but okay, not a Thanksgiving movie. Fair enough. No. no All right. No. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 219 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 218 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. And in that review, let us know if this podcast is a sandwich. <laughs> uh, all right, listen. Coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined. This is a great guest, man. Christopher Rosen from GoldDerby.com talking Oscar betting, which I love doing, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been very profitable with it through the years, so I, I'm looking forward to it. And, and he, he was a great interview. But, uh, you know, first it's a it's a gamble on news break. News of the week. Take it away, Eric. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We start the news segment this week with a follow-up to a story we discussed last week, the DraftKings hacker attack that DraftKings said it was on top of and all customers would get their money back. 
Uh, it seems that hasn't happened. Not yet, anyway. Uh, Jeff wrote a story for Sports Handle on Tuesday about an Oregon man who alleges he had all the money in his checking account, about $1,500, transferred by hackers to his DraftKings account, then withdrawn by the hackers. He reported it, DraftKings replaced the money, but he couldn't withdraw it and put it back in his checking account, causing overdraft issues. After days of complaining and conversing with DK Customer Service, the Oregon man learned that he had triggered responsible gaming alarms, either through his attempt to withdraw all his money or via something he said in an email about needing the money, and that's why he can't make his withdrawal. As of your article publishing, it had been nine days and counting of him waiting for his money, and he's not alone. Other people on Twitter have made similar complaints. And Tuesday evening, we got this tweet from ESPN's David Purdom, quote, the cyber attack on online sportsbooks has been escalated to the FBI per source. Well, then, uh, that cracks it up a notch. Uh, Jeff, you talked to the Oregon man and you tried to talk to DraftKings. What do you make of all this? Who's at fault here, if anyone? And any thoughts on the Federal Bureau of Investigation getting involved? Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, I think I'm kind of definitely not forget kind of. I'm definitely glad the FBI is involved as like it seemed like, you know, Listen, if if everyone got their money back same day, next day, I don't know, you know, then I, I let's, you know, maybe the feds don't need to get involved. The fact that the feds are getting involved, I mean, it, it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. I mean, the states were not getting involved. I, I know the New Jersey DGE I saw, you know, they had like they posted something or I don't even know where I saw it at, at this point. But I saw it where it said basically, if you got a problem with DraftKings, contact DraftKings. Right. You know, like so the states didn't seem to be getting involved in this. And, you know, there's still a ton of people all over Twitter who say that, you know, their money's still tied up, and now what are we going on, 10, 11 days? Right. Um, you know, DK, DraftKings, are they, you know, are they responsible? They're not responsible for the hack, but, like, they seem to be doing not a great job with messaging here and, and getting people their money back, certainly. Right. Uh, you know, I've seen, like, people have sent me, like, their stream of, like, customer service back, back and forth, and it is mostly, like, you know... Thank you for contacting DraftKings. We are sorry. You know, it's like by rote. Like they're <laughs> right. they're 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 losing confidence. Uh, mm -hmm. I think among players. And like really, if I if I'm DraftKings, I am getting together with the feds. I'm getting together with a good PR firm, and I'm issuing like, where's the statement saying like when people are gonna get their money back? Where's the statement saying this is why you don't have your money back yet? I mean, clearly they weren't prepared for something like this. But I'm as as each day goes by. I the the blame starts to shift. I think more and more to DraftKings for not being not. It, maybe there's reasons that they can't get the money back quicker, mm -hmm. but let people know what those reasons are. Like let's let's be a lot more forthright with it here. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. At the very least, better communication, better PR w would be warranted here. Um, I mean, look, obviously it's a tricky situation. On the one hand. Yes, a responsible gaming alert gets triggered, then then I, I want to see the operator slow down and investigate and go through the protocols once that happens. On the other hand, let's just say this guy is a problem gambler. He's not trying to bet all his money on the bears with the points or whatever, like a problem gambler might do. He's trying to withdraw his money. What could be more responsible than taking your money off the gambling site? Um, yeah. so, so then you wonder about DraftKings' true motivation they don't want all their customers withdrawing due to hacking concerns. Presumably that's, that's not good for their business. Um, but you know, we're talking about a thousand bucks here, 2000 there. 
it should be insignificant to DraftKings, but it could be critical money to these customers. It certainly seems it is to the Oregon guy that you talked to. Um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't be concerned from an RG perspective. I wonder if the real concern is whether DraftKings believes these customers or whether the customers could maybe be involved in the scam. I, I'm not suggesting this guy is or right. that any of them are, but like it's reasonable to speculate about a scenario where Oregon man has a friend who quote unquote hacks his account, gets $1,500, DraftKings returns the $1,500, Oregon man withdraws it. Now he and his friend have $3,000. So, mm. you know, if, if DraftKings is investigating and, and lifting every rock to make sure they're not being scammed, I would understand that. But it can't take 9, 10, 11 days. If you can't find any evidence of a scam in a day or two, give the guy his money and, and, and keep investigating if you want and, and, and sue him later, I guess. But it all get, it gets me wondering, do we think DraftKings, that they're the ones who escalated it to the FBI, maybe asking them to help maybe, investigate, yeah, sure. right? Yeah. So the other possibility is whether customer complaints maybe triggered the FBI's interest. I don't know. Um I also can't remember if our current position is defund the FBI or not. I need to get a caught up on that, whether the FBI is currently the enemy of the people or not. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that, I mean, the fact that you know, it's not like the FBI is just going around taking like, you know, any, you know, Tom, Dick and Jane's case. Right. right. So there's, you know, generally speaking, in my experience as a news reporter for like a newspaper, mm -hmm. you know, when the FBI gets involved, it's because they have something. You, you follow what I'm saying? Like right. there's reason for the you know the FBI is not going to get involved in a case that there's not going to be a resolution to, so it may take a month, a year. You know we may hear about this three years from now, but like we're going to hear about it again now that the FBI is involved for sure. Right. Well, I, or, Oregon man uh, certainly doesn't want to wait three years to get his money. I know that much. Right. For sure. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Uh, all right. Our second story is a follow-up also, and it too involves DraftKings. It's a topic that was discussed on the pod a couple of months ago in the pre-Edelstein era when rumors came out that a partnership was close between ESPN and DraftKings, possibly to have the latter run a sportsbook with the former's branding. That was in early October. It's been almost two months and nothing has happened, but Bob Iger is back in charge at Disney, the parent company of ESPN, and ESPN chairman Jimmy Pataro spoke at a conference in New York on Wednesday and confirmed that there's been no progress, saying a deal with any operator is, quote, not imminent. 
He didn't go into too many details, said he'll be talking with Iger, and sports betting is not the most urgent priority for Iger. Uh, Pitaro also reiterated that ESPN will not be an actual betting operator taking bets and assuming risk. So this is kind of a non-story story at this point, but it's significant just the same. Uh, Jeff? Have you broken bread with Bob Iger recently? Uh, got any insights on what his plans with ESPN and sports betting are? Yeah, Bobby and I, we, we played a quick nine. Oh, Bobby. Beach this, yeah, Monday. Um, yeah, and yeah, there, right. And uh, <laughs> listen, I, you know, he, he Iger was vehemently, vehemently anti-sports betting, like when he was in charge. Now, granted, mm-hmm. this was a few years ago. But, I mean, he's on record as saying that there's that no, like they will not like go in. You know, they're not doing this. Mm. Um, and so I don't think his opinion is going to change. I mean, he's not, you know, I, I don't think his opinion is going to change on that. Now, if I guess the, the, there's the idea that they might, you know, you know, spin off ESPN, that would be a different right. story. Right. But, you know, if ESPN is still printing money, I don't see him jettisoning it so quickly. Uh, you know, listen, I mean, if I were a betting man, I, I you know, it's like plus twenty five hundred that anything's going to happen in the next twelve months with this, right? I mean, I, I just, it seems like this is a bit of a at a standstill, and you know, if if Iger is against the idea of the mouse getting into bed with sports betting because he thinks it might sully the reputation, you know, then there, it's not going to happen. So, right. I, I don't know. I, I I'm a lot less confident now that something's going to happen than I was, you know, before Iger came back for sure. Yeah, I'd say plus 2,500 for the next 12 months sounds about right. Minus 2,500 for by the end of the decade, though. Uh, Like, I I can't imagine ESPN not eventually getting involved more directly with sports betting. But yeah, I mean, you you hit on those sort of sub rumors about whether Disney may look to unload ESPN and, you know, that would certainly shake up any any ideas that we have. But yeah, I mean, it seems the main takeaway here is that Disney has its family friendly reputation to worry about and has a million other oars in the water and and getting in bed with a sports book just isn't the top priority at the larger company. And so whenever it does happen, it'll be done very carefully, I'm sure. But 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 I can't imagine it, it not happening eventually. Um, I'm also very confident, though, after reading what Pataro said, that ESPN is definitely not going to be operating its own sports book. They aren't taking bets and taking on risk. That seems a non-starter for, for a Disney-owned company. Um, but to, to, to tie our first and second news stories of the week together, kind of, I wonder if DraftKings could be falling out of favor as a potential ESPN partner as it's involved in a hack that the FBI is now investigating. That doesn't seem like uh, a company that, that Disney would necessarily be looking to buddy up with. Uh, and we all know about DK's failure to this point to be profitable, like ever, uh, and about its struggling stock price. So I'll go ahead and make the prediction here that when ESPN does partner with someone to run a sports book with the ESPN brand, I'm kind of thinking it won't be DraftKings. Um Maybe maybe I should save that for bagels and locks and make that my lock of the week. <laughs> Can't do any worse than my other locks anyway. Yeah, I mean it's. I guess it's just this is like a, a wait and see thing. Um, and you know a lot's going to depend. Also, you know, like we're starting to see, you know, some, you know, a, a little bit of a consolidation in the industry. Some books are right. like you know backing off. So I mean, you know, it, it could the, the industry could look very different. You know, in twelve eighteen months when you know by the time ESPN and Disney is deciding what, if anything, they're going to do with this. So I, I think I, I, at this point, I think we are at, at best, you know, wild guessing here, you know? Yeah. Well, if, 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 uh, if Bobby gives you any more insights on the golf course, please uh, share them with the podcast listeners. I will let, I will, you'll be the first to know. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> 
Um, for our final news story this week, we look at the latest American Gaming Association press release projecting industry numbers. And this time they combined research and surveys to estimate the scope of illegal betting in the U.S. The top line numbers, the AGA says approximately $511 billion is wagered illegally each year, and nearly two-thirds of that handle comes in the form of online casino gaming. The amount of illegal sports betting per year, according to their number crunching, is only about 19% of the amount of illegal iCasino gaming. The point of all this from the AGA's perspective would seem to be to convince more legislatures to legalize all these forms of gaming, as they're pointing out how much tax revenue is being lost by not regulating iGaming in all states, and it's in the tens of billions of dollars. Jeff, your reaction to this latest round of AGA numbers? I, I, I just wish I was as smart as the AGA. I don't know how you how you ever put a number on something that is like it's not it's it's you know, it's like Matthew McConaughey, it's fushusy, you know, it's woozy woozy, whatever he said, you know. <laughs> like I mean it's just you know, just they're pulling numbers out of their ass. There's no way that they five hundred and eleven billion. I mean, how do they come up with these numbers? But, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, listen, I do agree with the AGA, like let's get this let's legalize sports betting mm-hmm. and casino. Like, I mean, it, it, people are doing it illegally. So like that, that much I get, but you know, I, I, you know, as far as number one, so like 20% of that five, you know, they're still saying a hundred billions going offshore for sports betting. Right. I guess, you know, if, if that number is real, I'm guessing a lot of that money is coming from the big three States that have yet to pass sports betting legislation. Right. Right. A lot of uh, and also, I'm sure some of it's coming from a lot of it's coming from the pros who are getting limited to no mm-hmm. end at, at the sports books. You know, the, I, I, you know, something needs to be done with that. I mean, I've been limited. At, I'm limited at two <laughs> sports books. Right. And I, I am at best recreational, you know, and I, I just don't understand, like, how I got limited. So, you know, that, that I don't like. You know, I, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You, if, you, if you want legalized sports betting AGA, you got to, like. That tell your partners here that they got to like open up these limits. You got to let people bet. And as far as the casino goes, you know, it's a heavy lift. You know, I, I just wrote a story for us bets. The biggest problem facing online casino, um, you know, based on like, who, you know, the interviews I did is, is not like the ickiness factor is as much of it as it is that there's just no stakeholders outside of the casinos themselves, right? There's no pro sports teams, right. you know, there, there's, there's no bigger fish to fry here. It's just casinos trying to like make a few more bucks. And even in those cases, you know, you still have cases of casinos who are pushing back against online because they think it's going to, you know, take away from their brick and mortar. Right. Um, especially like smaller casinos, like aren't looking for this to happen, but you know, so it, it's a heavy lift. Um, it'll happen slowly and surely. Uh, I know like New York and Indiana seem to be the next two where it seems most likely to happen, but even those are, you know, the, the, the chance of it happening this, you know, next year, 2023 are, are, are not great. Um, I think COVID money drying up, you know, all of a sudden the state legislatures are going to, are going to need to find ways to raise revenue. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's not a hard job for lobbyists to say, hey, look at Michigan, look at New Jersey, look at all the money they're making from online casino. So it's going to happen. But, you know, it's not going to be as quick. It, it's not as quick and it won't be as quick as, you know, the sports betting sweeping the nation. Yeah, clearly not. I, I mean, so the first thing that you said about uh, the, the AGA must be a lot smarter than you to come up with these numbers. Uh, that, I'll just point that they it, it seems the AGA 
went all out in trying to come up with accurate estimates. They have uh, in their press release a, a fair amount of explanation of where everything came from, you know, surveys calculating average spends in legal markets and applying that to percentages of people who say they use illegal sites. Obviously, it's still, you know, they're, they're, what what the margin for error on $511 billion is, uh, you know, it, yeah. it could be off by 10% or more in either direction. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't dismiss it as uh, just some number conjured out of air. They, they, they seem to do as much due diligence as they could to come up with this number. But, you know, but then there's just the question of, what does that number even really mean? Because the, the first thing that jumps out at me that, that you know, is, and I I've, I've, think I've gone on this rant before, maybe on the podcast, but is that I hate when anyone, a regulator or whoever, reports casino handle. Um, Connecticut does this in its monthly revenue reports. You know, I play my little online slots game at the end of the workday for 50 cents a spin. I'm going through 200 bucks of handle in like 15 minutes and I'm, I'm down five dollars or i'm up seven dollars or whatever at the end of it i just find casino handle such a meaningless and inflated statistic revenue yes tell me that you know and tax revenue sure but handle it's become kind of meaningful for sports betting because we can compare it month to month and state to state and uh, oh new jersey had its fifth ever billion dollar sports betting handle month whatever but like nobody's keeping track at the Borgata in Atlantic city of handle at their blackjack tables. All all they're tracking is money collected at the tables and then money paid out at the cage. So uh, just, just got to get that rant out of the way that casino handle numbers are are particularly stupid, but um, you know, the, the takeaways that the AGA has here with uh, some of the specifics that they get into, they kind of line up with what's obvious. Like they, they find that there's more, illegal iCasino play going on in the South and the Midwest. Yeah, the Northeast is where most of the regulated iCasino is available. Um, Also that there's way more illegal iCasino play than illegal sports betting. Yeah, like 30 states have legal sports betting. Only six have legal iCasino. So um, it it all kind of is stuff that we could have assumed anyway. Um, But in the end, you know, I'm with you. I'm with the AGA. I want to see more states legalize and regulate iCasino. And, and oh, by the way, iPoker, which everyone kind of forgets about because there isn't as much money to be made there, but it is something millions of people would like legal access to. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely want more states to legalize this. I guess my one caveat, you you, you had yours of, you know, that you want to see the, the limiting uh, practice crack down on. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the states that pass iCasino laws limit the cross sell efforts on it. Like yeah. if you know, if I sign up for a few sports books, I can see the little casino tab at the top of the homepage. I can click on it if I want. I don't need daily emails and notifications trying to get me to try the casino games. I'm not a legislator, but you know, if I were, I, I'd try to bring regulated iCasino to my state with laws limiting the marketing of it and also requiring every site to allow players to self exclude by vertical. Every app should yes, be set up, yes, right? Yes, so yes. I don't know exactly what you have in New Jersey in terms of that option, but my, mine in Pennsylvania, they vary. There are some that let me be, get very specific on what I can block myself from and what I can't. And there are others where if I want to restrict myself from anything, I have to restrict myself from everything and basically report myself right. as a problem gambler. Every app should be set up so that someone can bet sports, but block themselves from casino or vice versa or, or play poker, but nothing else. So getting kind of off topic here on the AGA's data, I suppose, but, but uh, worth that, worth mentioning that. 
I could not agree more. You've given me an idea for a column. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. You may think it's not quite Oscars season yet, but for some people, it's always Oscars season, or, or at least it's always some kind of award season with markets to speculate on and in some states legally wager on. One of those people joins us now. Christopher Rosen is the digital director at Gold Derby, a site that tracks the awards races and the betting odds. And his Twitter background is a still frame from Quick Change, so he's automatically A-OK in my book. Chris, welcome to Gamble On. Thank you so much for having me. Quick Change, great movie. Still it really good. is. I've I've been trying to get my kids to watch it with me. It's it's high on the list of uh, movies I want them to sit down and enjoy with me. I really love that good. one. Yep. <laughs> uh, so uh, before we get into any specifics of this year's Academy Awards races, I want to get your general thoughts on timing of betting and how strong the prediction markets are this far out. Now, you know, once the nominations are released, things will come into pretty clear focus. But what is the track record like for finding betting value and making accurate projections in, say, late November before even a lot of the presumptive favorites have have been released? I think it's pretty strong. You could usually tell, like, what are the movies that people are going to be kind of focused on and what are going to be the successes. And if you look at, like, you know, our site or at Gold Derby, it's like, you know, there's probably a lot of movies like the Fablemans and everything everywhere and top gun for best picture where you're just like, this is the movies that people are talking about. And while the thing that's interesting about now is it's a lot of speculation, like you said, because we're going on basically it's a little more, it's like informed speculation, but it's like, you know, you're waiting for, especially for the Oscars, you're talking about a 10,000 members of the Academy basically who are going to have to see these movies and when they see them or how much prioritize what they prioritize is ends up really kind of being what will end up getting nominated. So you kind of have to think about that. But for Best Picture, usually you could kind of really kind of land on the five to seven definite movies that people like expect to see there. And then this year there was a, a set number of 10 nominees, which is slightly different from the years past where it was fluctuating between five and 10. So it's even easier maybe this year to pick like the seven or eight that will definitely be there. And then maybe the bottom nine, 10 numbers you could fudge around with and there are a lot of contenders there but like we're seeing like pretty stable uh in the top like seven basically at this point so and so you actually find that there is often better value before the nominations are even released if you can hone in on on who you're pretty confident the serious contenders are certainly i mean i think you could say like last year is a great example is a movie like coda i think a lot of people were hoping that would get nominated. It had a lot of passionate support. People really enjoyed it when it came out in the summer and premiered previously at the Sundance Film Festival in January. So I had, I think I had it towards the bottom of my like list, like of predictions. And then if you get it in there and it gets in and then it slowly like kind of rises up and ended up being like a big passion pick and one, even though it was maybe an unexpected thing. At this point in November, I would say last year, even if even someone who was predicting it would get nominated, I never thought it would win, right? So it's like, you're kind of like, there is a way that you'll, you can't like hoping that it could win, but you don't know. But I mean, like the nominations are slightly different than the the winners eventually. So there you go. Yeah. But I do think there's value here, certainly for nominations. So I, uh, just to brag for a moment, I locked in the Fablemans at 14 to one a few months ago. Now it's, it's the favorite everywhere. And Spielberg is the favorite at director at minus 200 on most of the sites now. Uh, he, he He's along with Brendan Fraser for The Whale. He's like the biggest favorite in the markets that are out there right now. 
Spielberg be, it, adding up the fact that the Fablemans is obviously in the going to be in the running for best picture, adding the fact that this is it feels like a lifetime achievement crown being placed on his head, adding the fact he doesn't have to deal with the rank choice balloting for director. Is there any way he doesn't win best director? I mean, I would never, I never want to say there's never way he could not, you know, you never want to say there's a lock, but I mean, I think, I think you're accurate in saying that if there is a lock for a winner, it would be Steven Spielberg. It feels like while the Fablemans could easily get knocked off for best picture. And when you have like a ranked choice ballot, like, you know, like it, like we've seen like a favorite is necessarily not like the favorite sometimes will lose out uh, in, in the end of a preferential ballot, right? Like we've seen that uh, like last year, even with power of the dog, maybe people expected that to be the favorite. It had the most nominations, of like compared to Coda and then it didn't win. But anyway, for Spielberg, yes, I think it's like pretty set. I, I think there's a re- couple of reasons why, like you said, it is like a lifetime achievement. He's only won two directing Oscars. He won for Schindler's list and saving private Ryan. That was a long time ago. So it does feel like it could be time again to reward him. He's beloved in the industry, obviously. And I think most important is there's really not a consensus at this point, at least so far, number two to like take him out right like you have a lot of people like an our odd sarah polly is next for women talking i think that's a very strong movie it hasn't really come out yet and it'll start kind of percolating up later this year i think it comes out december 23rd and then we'll expand out so you'll hear more about that movie maybe later but she's an option the daniels who directed everything everywhere all at once are an option todd field for tar damien Giselle. there's just a lot of people and none of them seem like they're going to stand up to spielberg and i think like directors so far in the last few years maybe been a category that we've been able to like kind of peg early last year jane campion even though power of the dog didn't end up winning she was very clearly the front runner to win best director from even earlier than this conversation that we're having now like from like september it felt like she was gonna win and she ended up winning and i feel like spielberg similarly it feels like one of the lockiest locks but again you never want to say never but i think <laughs> it'd be pretty 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 safe bet that he will end up winning but you never know so yes Moving over over to the best picture category, um, there's a movie that particularly uh, is interesting to me. I'm hearing nothing but praise for She Said. Um, podcasts I listened to all gushed. My mom saw it in the theater and said it was exceptional. Um, you know, lar- large sample size there to go from. But um, I would have thought it would be like a top three or so best picture contender, but that's not, not how Gold Derby sees it. And it's not quite what DraftKings says either. We know Hollywood loves rewarding movies about Hollywood. So is this the opposite where it kind of has no shot at awards because it shines a light on a topic that Hollywood should be ashamed of? So I'm interested to see what happens to you said as well. I've seen it. I love it also. And a lot of people, again, anecdotally that I've spoken to who were like really enjoyed the movie. I think it has a slight uphill battle for a few reasons, perhaps because of the subject matter. But I do think that there is a world where I guess I would say like before seeing the movie, I was like, a little concerned that maybe it would be too laudatory, like lauding, like Hollywood, like giving itself a real pat on the back for taking down Harvey Weinstein when that's not really what happened. But the movie itself handles it really well. And it really puts the focus on the journalists and the victims in a really kind of profound way. And I think it's very well done and in, is in the conversation with movies that have had great success at the Oscars, like All the President's Men and Spotlight as like two prime examples I don't know how it's going to play out. I think, like you said, I think as people see it, they will enjoy it. A couple of problems I would say from like a perception standpoint at the moment are a universal released it in a very wide release a couple of weeks ago, and it did not do well at the box office. And that generated massive headlines about how poorly it did. And people kind of taking like a victory lap to dunk on it. Now, none of this stuff really matters 
from an Oscar standpoint, right? Because we've seen small movies like Coda didn't have any, barely a theatrical release and obviously won Best Picture. So it's not necessarily going to correlate to box office, but I think there is a perception at least that the movie is a flop or it didn't do well when a lot of these movies haven't done well because of the way the box office is now. So I'd be curious to see how like people respond to that. The other thing is that she said is a Universal Pictures release and another big movie that we just spoke about for Universal is The Fableman. So that means they have to balance how they want to campaign these movies and how they want to like position them in the marketplace. And if they're putting a lot of their, you know, awards events and, and, and focus and attention on the Fableman because it's the front runner, maybe she said doesn't have as much shine and then it ends up kind of getting falling by the wayside. I would hope that it has kind of like a comeback thing. I, we have it, like I said, 11th in our odds. I had it predicted on mine for a long time and then I recently dropped it out, but I probably will go back to putting it in i think it's like i think it's a tough bet to get a lot of nominations so that could kind of hurt it and if it ends up like right now we've seen almost every the public hasn't seen them yet but like a lot of the pundits and stuff have seen almost every movie except for avatar that's like the last big best picture contender to screen i think it's screening next week so if that ends up being a great movie then maybe it knocks she said out but there's like i said there's a lot of room at the bottom and if she said has a lot of passionate support from people who've seen it, like you were both suggesting anecdotally, it could get in there as a nominee and, and that would be good. But okay. I don't think is the it... subject matter necessarily means that it won't. I think that people will still respond to it, even though it is like slightly negative on Hollywood, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Right. It, is there a, a Coda like movie that's lingering out there that's, you know, in the back of everyone's mind that might make the leap? I don't know if there's one like, I mean, I think the two I would say that have like the most Coda E vibes are much bigger movies, but I would say one to me is Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel, uh, had a limited theatrical release here last week for Netflix that was like a big deal for them. Uh, I do not know one person who did dislike it. It's a great time at the movies. It's a lot of fun, and it's not necessarily a movie you would think that would be a Best Picture nominee based on like historical, uh, the history of the Oscars, but the first movie I would say came pretty close to getting a nomination. It was a PGA award nominee that had the set of 10 uh, nominees. And usually that kind of correlates the best picture in the end and did not get in knives out. So you could figure it was like maybe the 11th or 12th runner up that year, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think the passion behind the movie is strong and it reminds me of Coda and that people are just really responding to it and enjoying it. Coda was an audience movie, even though most people watched it at home, everyone liked it and wanted to tell people to go see it. I'm seeing kind of the same thing again, anecdotally with Knives Out. And then a movie that had that earlier this year, that's obviously a top contender. So maybe not Coda, he would be everything everywhere all at once, I think is generating that same kind of enthusiasm. Otherwise, I don't know if there's really like a small, totally unexpected movie, but I would say Glass Onion not a lot of people have it in right now for best picture. And I think, you know, you could make a, it could easily get in. And it's again, thinking about how beyond the movies themselves is how it's positioned in the marketplace. Netflix doesn't have a lot of contenders. A lot of their strong contenders this year were not really well received. A movie like Bardo or white noise, the Noah Baumbach movie. And so Netflix is really going to put a lot of its muscle behind glass onion to get a best picture nomination. So you kind of try to think about all these different factors when you're, going to predict but i think glass onion could be a strong bet i would say 
Well, well for right. what it's worth with uh, with Glass Onion, uh, again, small sample size alert here, but I, I took and I interrupted my football Sunday to go see it with with my whole family. Uh, and I hardly ever go to the movie theaters to see anything. Uh, my review, very good, not quite as good as the original Knives Out. So uh, factor that into whatever bets you make. That, yeah. uh, I, I am not quite giving it the A plus stamp of approval, but it was That's very fine. good. That's fine. It is very good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, over to the best actress category, which seems to be just like jam packed with like awesome performances. Uh, I haven't seen Till yet, but uh, well, I did watch. Uh, what was that HBO show? Now, I, oh, I, Station Eleven. Station yeah. Eleven. Yeah. Danielle Deadweiler owned the screen, and I'm hearing that she like destroyed this until like she was just so 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 good. And it hurt. She's way down in the odds charts. I mean, she's as high as I see her as ten to one in some places. Do you think there there's going to be a big push? For Deadweiler, I may or may not have bet her. I think there is, yes. I mean, it's a performance. The movie is about, obviously, the murder of Emmett Till. She plays Emmett Till's mother. Uh, it's a really powerful performance and a very strong uh, movie, I would say, and very emotional movie. And again, I think if you're talking about, like, not to compare it to Coda, but it does elicit that kind of response. I've seen, like, again, anecdotally, like, a lot of celebrities have been very supportive of it. Patricia Arquette and Marley Matlin, like going on Twitter and being like, oh my God, you have to see this movie. It's astonishing. And while that is like kind of silly in a small sample size, you don't always see that, right? Like not, they're not like, they're just, there's an actual genuine outpouring, it seems for Danielle Deadweiler. She won uh best act lead performance, excuse me, at the Gotham Awards last night, mm-hmm. which is an independent uh, award, you know? So it's like not necessarily totally predictive and it's a juried pick. So there's only like five people who pick it. Those caveats aside, Daniel Deadweiler was in the same category as Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, who are both strong contenders for best actress. She was in the category with Brendan Fraser, who's obviously, like you mentioned, is like a very strong favorite for best actor. And she won in that category. So people are really responding to the performance. And I think she is a strong bet to get in there, even though the best actress field, like you said, is packed. It has Viola Davis and Olivia Coleman and Margot Robbie and Michelle Williams, all these actresses who have had past Oscar success, either from wins or nominations. And I think Daniel Deadweiler could easily get in. I'd say the caveat, like the only things to worry about are is if people are going to watch the movie, right? Like it's like a not, you know, a lot of times now you have to think about their movies are out, were out in theaters and they did screenings and now they're going to be on screeners, right? So that's how a lot of voters end up watching them. So either, and then if you're sitting at home and you're a voter, are you going to say, I want to watch Glass Onion or Top Gun, or do I want to watch this heavy drama Till, which is probably really good, but I mean, am I emotionally ready to watch something like this? And that kind of ends up being like a little bit of a deciding factor. That said, when the buzz around the performance like Daniel Denweiler has is so strong, I think people will make a priority to watch it. And when they do, I think it's going to translate. And she's a very strong bet. I'm surprised the odds are so low still, because I think, I guess it's just because the movie is pretty small, like you said, and a lot of people haven't necessarily seen it yet. But I think she does feel like very strong bet to get nominated. Awesome. All right. I'm going to sneak in uh, one last question that's uh, <laughs> just just to satisfy uh, some uh, personal uh, uh, curiosity that I have. I have to start with a full disclosure. Um, my brother is Quentin Tarantino's editor. So uh, which that makes me like three degrees removed from Harvey Weinstein. Not not proud about that. But uh, that said, Fred Raskin not being nominated for best film editing for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fair to call that the most egregious snub in Oscars nomination history. I mean, it's pretty egregious, I would say. I did not know that was your brother, but yeah, no, it's a great, I, I would say he's a great, it is a great egregious snub. Yes, I was, again, shocked by that. That was a strong best picture uh, nom- contender and stuff, and it should have probably got nominated. But again, the 
the academy is so diffuse now it's tough to to figure out like what is going to get in but i think fred raskin <laughs> I agree. All right. We have it on the record. Chris Rosen from Gold Derby says uh, one of the most egregious snubs uh, he's ever seen. Uh, Putting a few words in your mouth, but okay, great. Um, Chris, it has been great talking to you. Uh, Everyone can go to uh, goldderby.com. That's where you can find uh, his work and uh, at Chris J. Rosen on Twitter. Anywhere else people should should go to, to find you online? That's good. Yeah, you could go there or you could go to our YouTube page, uh, you know, gold, gold, youtube.com slash gold derby has a lot of uh, good content as well. All right, great. Well, uh, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on Gamble On. Thank you Thanks, so much, Chris. guys. Appreciate it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to bagels and locks and some DFS talk shortly. But first, let's update our betting bankroll. And we had a winning week. Uh, we'll take it. Uh, now, is it a winning week? Because none of Jeff's bets got graded this week. <laughs> you be the judge. Um, Jeff, of course, placed a couple of Oscars bets last week. Uh, and, that, and that was it. Uh, we also both have some World Cup bets still floating out there. Uh You'll be happy to know, in case you don't already know, Argentina made it to the round of 16, so so that That's one's correct. still alive. Uh, but uh, graded bets. I had two boxing bets uh, on Jose Zapata to pull the mild upset win over Regis Progre and to specifically win by decision. I was way off. Progre pretty much dominated and earned an 11th round stoppage, so we lost $80 combined on those. But I more than made up for it with the rare, non-disastrous NFL three-team teaser. Uh, In retrospect, I should have done a parlay, not a teaser, as the Dolphins, Niners, and Eagles all narrowly covered their unteased numbers. But... uh, all good. We will uh, we'll take what we got. We we got those three teams teased six and a half points at plus 150. So we won $150 on our $100 bet. That means for the week, we won $70 and we are now down by 3130 We have $1,403 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $5,467 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm going to borrow a bet idea from my own Line It Up column this week. The NFC South sucks. Uh, Not a single team there deserves to make the playoffs, but one of them will. Um, I don't believe in Tampa Bay at all. Um, Look, they're the favorite to win the division, and they should be, but they shouldn't be a big favorite. This isn't... You know, this isn't like a a three or four game sample size of them not being good. We're 11 games into the season and they have looked like a mediocre or worse team in almost all of them. Brady's amazing for a 45 year old, but I don't know. He's maybe about the 12th best overall quarterback in the league at this point. Tristan Wirfs is hurt. Their offense doesn't score points. They're five and six, a half game ahead of the Falcons, who are five and seven. And the Falcons are not a good football team either. But they're plus 750 at DraftKings to win the division. They play Tampa at home in week 18. They'll need to win that one, definitely. They also need to win this week at home against Pittsburgh. Their other games are at Saints, at Ravens, home against the Cardinals. They could go 4-1 and one the rest of the way, right? Uh, I'm not saying they will, but they could. And plus 750 is a pretty darn nice price for that possibility. If they finish 9-8 and eight with that win over Tampa in week 18, they're winning the division. So I, I think the price is right. Let's bet 
$50 to win $375. I, I know if you were the one making the bet, Jeff, you'd probably go 500 to win $37.50 and get us back in the black all at once, but I'm, I'm yeah. going to go with 50 to win $375. Well, can I, let me throw something out. Okay. I mean, maybe you should bump it up. Let, maybe bump it up another 50 just because if this plays out the right way, we might be able to hedge it come week 18 and take the bucks on the other side and guarantee ourselves some money here. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. I'm sold. I'm easy. A hundred dollars. A hundred dollars to win seven fifty. There we go. That and that if we hedge, then we could take the three seventy five and be happy. Right. Okay. I like it. Uh, so now my next one. Uh, you know, I'm again trying for a, bit, a little bit of a home run here. Uh, <laughs> could you sound any less enthusiastic as you announce your first well, bet? <laughs> l- all right. Listen. It's a, it's fifty dollars. Uh-huh. So it's not a lot of money. We're not okay. putting a lot of money down. Okay, good. Plus 2,000. Plus 2,000. Okay, all right. All right. On the Cincinnati Bengals to raise the Lombardi Trophy. Okay. Uh, no, not, not a peep from you. So here, no, here's, no, no. Well, here, here's, here, I'll, I'll slip in this peep that, uh, that, that uh, John Brennan made that, made that mm-hmm. bet preseason. Um, oh, really? But I think he only bet 20 bucks at plus 2,200. So we're just adding to it. It's fine. I, I, go I'd ahead. Like go add. ahead and give me your reasoning. Well, listen, I think, you know, they, they've, they, they've weathered their 0-2 start. They have weathered injuries, the Jamar Chase injury. Joe Burrow, there's he is starting to, to look like the most confident quarterback in the league. Sure. I'm not going to say the best, but I'm mm-hmm. going to say the most confident. Like, he just seems like he's playing like he's playing the game on a little bit of a different level. He's not flashy, right? But he, he just keeps making plays. This team is, like, on the upswing. Offense is like arguably the best skill position players, like maybe next, uh, I think the best skill position players, right? And their defense is coming on and they're a cold weather team and we're headed mm-hmm. into the cold weather. And I, I don't know. I, 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 there's something about this team that is starting to strike me as like a little bit of destiny is, is, is at play here. Uh, so yeah, that's, I'm just, I'm throwing 50 bucks at it at plus 2000. I think it's worth it. Okay, sure. And and then we can hedge that, too, when they reach the Super Bowl and are up against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that, this is what dreams are made of. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, for my second wager, uh, I'm going with a little boxing. Um, I swear that I am a winning boxing better, even if you haven't seen evidence of it yet, Jeff. Uh, we have a great fight this Saturday night, uh, completing a trilogy between the great Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. And I have to warn you, once you start saying Chocolatito, you'll never want to stop. It's That's more it. it's no, more I, fun than Argentina, maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's Chocolatito against Juan Francisco Estrada. They fought way back in 2012. Chocolatito won a competitive decision. They finally rematched in 2021. People thought maybe Chocolatito was washed by this point, but it was another close distance fight. Estrada won a highly controversial decision. Uh, They've each fought once since. Uh, Chocolatito looked great. Estrada looked meh. Chocolatito is favored to win the rubber match. He's like minus 170-ish, but I think the best value is on him by decision. Uh, Estrada got the benefit of the doubt last time. If it's close again, Judges are human. I expect them to lean toward the guy who kind of got screwed the first time in the close rounds. Uh, so Chocolatito by decision. I first saw it at minus 110, minus 105, but I kept looking. It's plus 115 at Fox Bet. I love it. So $100 to win 115 on Chocolatito winning on points Saturday night. All right. I like it. I'm going to try to duplicate the teaser okay. uh, from last week. I'm going to give you a teaser here. We'll go 100 bucks to win 160 over at Caesars. 
Uh, I love Caesars at plus one sixty. I think mm-hmm. them and Dra- Fanduel's at plus one forty. What are they yeah, doing? Yeah, Fanduel. Like, yeah, I don't know what that's about. I don't know but... what they're thinking. But yeah, so plus one sixty. Going to take the Eagles, getting a half a point mm-hmm. against the Titans. The Ravens giving two points to the Broncos, and the Bengals getting an eight and a half at home against the Chiefs. Again, I'm, I'm heavy Bengals here this week, but that, okay. that's what it is. So basically, the Eagles to win, the Ravens to cover two, and the Bengals to at worst, you know, lose by a touchdown. I, I like all of that, um, and especially because the Chiefs, even when they do win, they don't they don't cover big spreads. So now you're giving you're making it a big spread that they would have to cover. So I like that. The Eagles are actually the one that I just like last week when the Eagles made you the most nervous of my three picks. I just right. I think the Titans remain kind of underrated and I could see the Eagles oh, they are. this I, game. I, so I'll tell you, I, but I, I think the reason that the Eagles win this game, two reasons. Reason number one. Uh, they already had their loss. You, you, you know what I mean? So, right. like, if, if they if they were undefeated heading to this game, I would right. bet the Titans all right. day long. But yeah. they've had their loss. They, I don't think they want to lose this game at home. Number two, uh, my 11-year-old daughter, you know, she, she has some autism. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, six months ago, we're at the, the, the Oxford Valley Mall, and she sees we're in Build-A-Bear, and she wants an Eagles Build-A-Bear. <laughs> okay. And I think she had to earn it. So she finally earned it, and we went this weekend. We got it. The Eagles are undefeated since my daughter got her Eagles build a bear <laughs> so yeah, that 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 trend continues this week that's just science right there really that's that science. using pure, yeah pure science yes <laughs> all right uh speaking of science time now for bagels and locks uh we may have to change the spelling. We may just have to go with L-O-X, because we are fish, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> At least I am. Uh, last week, we both were. Um, I had Pats plus three. I don't know how they blew that game Thanksgiving night in Minnesota. It was there for the taking, but uh, a questionable drop touchdown call, a bad penalty, yada, yada. My lock wasn't such a lock. And you had Seahawks minus three and a half against the Raiders. Oh, they killed me. Yeah, they had plenty of opportunities, but they ended up losing in overtime and allowing Josh Jacobs to run for a couple thousand yards. Uh, so uh, I'm now one and three on these so-called locks. Uh, you're three and one. Uh, the Seahawks ruined your perfect record. We got to get on track this week or else our listeners are going to start to think we aren't pros or something. So, uh, Jeff, yeah, what you got? Uh, I'm going with the Ravens laying all eight points at home against the Broncos. Broncos are obviously a massively broken franchise right mm-hmm. now. Uh, and the Ravens should have put up, you know, 45 points last week. They just they, they died in the red zone all day long. Mark Andrews dropping touchdowns. Uh, I think that this is that they're going to look to this game, I think, is like a get right spot, even though, they, you know, get even more right spot, I suppose. So, yeah, I, I, I the Ravens given the eight points at home against the Broncos lock of the week. Makes sense. Does your daughter, by chance, have a Ravens build a bear to uh, make make me feel even more confident in this pick? She unfortunately does not. Mm, all right, then uh, then I'm I'm not putting all of my life savings behind it. But um, so uh, for mine, you know, when the chips are down, when you're one and three and you need a winner, take a crappy team that's getting too many points. My lock of the week is the Colts at the Cowboys. Most books are giving you ten and a half. But BetMGM is giving us 11 points, so I will gladly grab that extra half point. You know, the Colts, since Jeff Saturday took over and handed the offense back over to Matt Ryan, look, they're not good, certainly, but they're not an embarrassment. They upset the Raiders, they almost upset the Eagles, and then they lost to the Steelers, which was not so good, but they were in it all the way. They were leading through three quarters. Point is, they're not a pushover. And the Cowboys, their big weakness is that they have one of the worst run defenses in the league. So give me Jonathan Taylor against a soft run defense. It's not a formula for victory, 
but I think it's a formula for covering a double-digit spread. Uh, you know, if this was nine and a half, I probably wouldn't be betting it at all. At 10, it wouldn't be my lock pick, but 10 and a half or even better, 11, that's a lock, baby. Hold your nose and back the Colts. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like it. I like it. I mean, nah, I, it doesn't I, sound I, like you like it. Well, no, I mean, it's a lot of points. It, it is a lot of points. It's just, I just feel like the, I, I feel like the Colts have been riding like a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, Jeff Saturday Cinderella story here. Right, right. I just, I, 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 I fear that there's, it's there. At some point, it's going to turn into a pumpkin. Okay, and it, yeah, it could be this one, but uh, well, yeah, I mean, if my. Uh, three consecutive losses in bagels and locks is any indication, then, uh, then indeed, <laughs> pumpkin awaits. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's finish with some DFS talk. Uh, Jeff, thanks to your uh, Twitter account, I'm, uh, I'm aware that you had uh, 81 tournament teams last Sunday, and Josh Jacobs was on one of them. Uh, I don't know if That's you want to talk about that or not, but I would assume you at least want to talk about how this Sunday's slate is shaping up. Yeah, it's uh, tough sledding. Uh, well, yeah, I did not do well last week, but uh, this, this week... <laughs> I mean, right. Now, I mean, just as we're sitting here today, uh-huh. uh, and we're recording this on a Thursday morning, it's tough sledding. I mean, we're we're waiting on a bunch of like you know B level running back injury designations, and if these guys start dropping out, the Najee Harris's, you know, uh, I can't, you know, uh, well, there's there's a few. Trust me, uh-huh. uh, that would create some A list value, right? Yeah. Uh, if they end up missing, so we got to wait there. Then there's like three games that like really stand out for shootouts, right? The Jags and Lions, the Chargers yep. and Raiders, the Bengals and Chiefs. These three games can shoot out. And then below that, there's lesser spots that I also think have like pretty good potential to shoot out. Eagles, Titans, Niners, Dolphins, Jets, Vikings, Packers, Bears, sneaky shootout, right? Both teams can't play defense, right? Right. Of all these games, I, I you got to figure at least one of them is going to like explode, right? And so it would not surprise me to see you know, a Millie maker taken down with like, you know, you usually want to go like, you know, skinny stack and maybe one bring back. Wouldn't shock me if like this week you you start seeing like if one of these games goes, you know, like 45, 35 with the right players, you know, doing the scoring, you know, I, 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 a lot of game stacking, I think is, is in my future this week, which, uh, you know, not my favorite way to do it. I like, I like trying to hit the, like the nine player parlay type thing, you know, But I, I think that, you know, game stacking might might be a is going to be like definitely like especially in the smaller tournaments, like it, you have to game stack this week and you're going to have to like really spread it out. Uh, I'm I'm already worried about my bankroll. <laughs> OK, yeah, I so the, of the various stackable games you mentioned, it's one of the more obvious ones that is jumping out at me that. I've already started playing around with some mega stacks of the Lions Jags game. Um, it's not like super cheap, but it's not too expensive either. Like right. the 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 quick build that I did before we started recording, uh, this was like a, a a one minute don't think about it uh, lineup build was Lawrence to Kirk and Zay and bring it back with both Amon Ra and Jamal Williams. Then you plug in a cheap D and a cheap tight end, and you still have enough left over to, uh, in my case, I got to Eckler and uh, and Pickens for the for the Steelers. I mean, Lions Jags could bust. It could end up like a 2017 game, and, and that lineup is totally dead. But that could also very easily be like a 45 to 40 game. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if I've ever been this excited for a game between two four and seven teams. I am really fired up for Lions Jags. <laughs> it should be a good one. It really should, you know. Yeah. 
All right, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Christopher Rosen. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. Yeah, listen, a quick, uh, right, direct to Mr. Jason Robbins. Listen, if, if, if you're going to have trouble getting people their money back because of whatever reasons, let's sit down with the feds. Let's sit down with a high-class PR firm. Let's craft a statement. Let us know what the hell's going on. Because if people don't have their money, Eric, you know what they can't do? Buy Christmas presents? They can't gamble on. Oh. <laughs> well, I really blew the setup there. <laughs> But it's the truth. We like we need. I I want to see better communication. Like and the 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 the, the cardinal sin for any industry whenever there's an issue is like not being forthright with what's happening. And now it's been almost going on two weeks. I, I need more information. That's it. Gamble on. Please.